This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. The safety war starts now. Hi, this is Jim Polzel again. Podcast hosts for Safety Wars. Something came across my desk yesterday, to be more accurate, across my computer screen. This article comes from the National Institutes of Health. The title of the article is Oil Spill Cleanup Workers More Likely to Have Asthma Symptoms. NIH study, this is the byline, NIH study finds chemicals from Deepwater Horizon disaster associated with war wheeze. That's W H E E Z E. Old disclaimer here, or I should say, not a disclaimer, but I'm just letting you know. I was involved in the training of a lot of spill cleanup workers, roughly 10% of the population here. And my extended family was one of the companies, no, we owned one of the companies that uh, supplied cleanup workers, roughly around 10% of them, give or take, uh, that did this whole deep water horizon cleanup back in 2010. I'm also part of, personally, I'm also part of the follow-up called study where they are polling uh, workers who were there who were registered uh, every year I get a call uh, asking me how I'm doing health wise and a lot of the questions that are asked are like do I have health care uh, how's my general health height weight and all of that stuff it's all self-reported uh, here I encourage anyone who was involved with the Gulf oil spill cleanup to be part of the uh, study uh, because we don't know where this is going to go uh, one of our one of the things that's going on here is that oil spill cleanup workers are more likely to have asthma symptoms these studies and everything else are coming out so let me just read from the study I am going to go and uh, have some comments on here because I think uh, this is a huge externality here uh, with a couple of things that no unintended uh, consequences uh, as to how the job was managed uh, by the state of Florida here not so much BP, but uh, uh, some of the other things that went on here. So researchers from the Gulf long-term follow-up study, this is a direct quote, Gulf study, found that workers involved in cleaning up the nation's largest oil spill were 60% more likely than those who did not work on the cleanup to be diagnosed with asthma or experience asthma symptoms one to three years after the spill. This ongoing study led by the NIH, ES, uh, part of the National Institutes of Health, is the largest study to look at the health of work of workers who responded to the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. This is the first study, this is a quote, this is the first study to ever look at specific chemicals from oil spills and link them to respiratory diseases, said Dale Sandler, PhD, chief of the NEIHS epidemiology branch and lead researcher for the Gulf study. If you are an oil spill cleanup worker in the Gulf experiencing wheezing or other asthma-like symptoms, it would be good to let your healthcare provider know you worked on the oil spill. The researchers analyzed data from 19,000 plus oil spill response to cleanup workers and another 5,500 plus uh, people who had completed required safety training but did not work on the cleanup. I was in the latter part of this. None of the participants had been diagnosed with asthma before the spill. The non-workers were considered an unexplosed comparison group. That was me. 
The researchers estimated worker exposures to specific oil spill chemicals. They then looked at the relationship between the doctor-diagnosed asthma or asthma-related symptoms, the types of jobs the cleanup workers held, and the resulting exposure to total hydrocarbons. Researchers also assessed associations of outcomes with a subgroup of chemicals in crude oil, including benzene, toluene, ethylbenzene, and xylene, for those uh, in the industry, those that's VTEX, and and hexane, right, and all these chemicals are known VTEX H, right? These chemicals are classified as hazardous air pollutants according to the U.S. Clean Air Act and are linked to other health effects in the Gulf study. Researchers found that the relative risk for asthma symptoms increased with increasing levels of exposure to individual VTEX chemicals as well as VTEX H mixture. The more a worker was exposed to these crude oil chemicals, including total hydrocarbons, the individual VTEX H chemicals and the VTEX H mixture, the more likely they were to have asthma symptoms, said Caitlin Lawrence, PhD a staff scientist and the NIEHSF epidemiology branch and lead author of the study published in Environmental International. She noted, exposure levels vary depending on the person's cleanup jobs and how long they worked. Jobs vary from administrative support and environmental water sampling to mopping up crude oil from aboard a sea vessel or shoreline vessel to decontaminating equipment or wildlife. The paper reports that 983, that's 5% of the cleanup workers, reported asthma and asthma symptoms, while only 196, meaning about 3%, non-workers reported the asthma outcome. Workers that were involved in operating, maintaining, or refueling the heavy cleanup equipment have the highest incidence of asthma. For this study, asthma is defined as uh, reporting a doctor's diagnosis of asthma or for non-never smokers, self-reporting wheezing or whistling in the chest all or most of the time. Because the Gulf Oil, the Gulf study population is socioeconomically vulnerable, with less than half reporting access to medical care, we included non-doctor confirmed asthma cases to minimize any underreporting of true asthma cases in the population that would be missed due to the lack of access to healthcare. And it goes on and on and on. And there's, uh, right, those are what it is. So some of my thoughts with the Gulf Oil study. It was uh, when the spill happened about a week later, I get a phone call from a family member saying, hey, uh, Jimmy, I need you down here to get 40-hour Hazwaffer training. And he said, I want legitimate training for the people down here. And I said, well, how many? He said, a lot. So my brother, John, God rest his soul, and I jumped in my Ford Expedition, loaded up with training materials and a 700-watt PA system down and we've got a church in uh, Panama City to actually host a seminar. We literally trained uh, my company that I was working for then, well, that I owned, partial owner, with. We literally trained about uh, 4,000 people, 5,000 people, so uh, a lot of people here. And I got enrolled in the study as one of the control group that was trained, but never actually did work. I think I did maybe three days worth of work on the spill. It was mostly administrative and safety audits and that sort of thing. Now, you're going to say, well, Jim, what do you have to comment on here? I wanted to comment on the last paragraph here is because uh, about a lot of the folks being socioeconomically vulnerable with less than half reporting access to medical care. Now, during the uh, beginning of the cleanup, there was, and this is the inside story, and I think uh, this is some of the stuff that this goes into and doesn't go into. At the beginning of the spill, we were sent down professional responders. A lot of these are eight-hour refreshers, eight-hour housewopper refreshers. I was doing professional responders that were able to produce a legitimate 40-hour certificate and then go and uh, uh, with a, and then they couldn't need an eight-hour refresher. We did the eight-hour refresher. 
We went through all of this for many days, my brother and I, just constantly going and training. And what ended up happening was about, oh, I have to say, I don't know how long, a week? No, I'm sorry, a month into this? Someone had said, look, we have a lot of folks on, uh, in Florida that don't have jobs. You're bringing in outsiders for, uh, to do these jobs. And therefore, we have to use Florida work. And what do they use? I forget what it was called, but it's along the lines of a work fair, uh, a work fair, the welfare to work sort of thing, where we were going to bring in a lot of these folks. What ended up happening? We ended up having, to, you know, the people who were coming in, a lot of them uneducated, a lot of them, I mean, not even a high school diploma. People came in with all different sorts, out of rehab, prisons, uh, very disadvantaged folks, and what the potential was was we're going to get them to work. safety community communication and planning are just a few keys to your program success the question many practitioners have is where do i start dr jay allen the creator of the safety fm platform and host of the rated r safety show has built a global foundation to help you along the way go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals including blaine hoffman with the safety pro sam goodman with the hop nerd sheldon primus with the safety consultant jim pozell with safety wars emily elrod with unapologetically bold and many others as individuals we can do great things but as a team we become amazing dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support we go through and uh, the guys show up. Okay, Mr. Bozel, we're from blah, 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 agency, blah, 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 company. And what we're going to do is we're going to know if you're actually doing sa a, a safety training because we're getting a lot of people cheating on here. And if you remember the context of this, this was when the uh, 
OSHA training providers, OSHA outreach training providers, were getting caught in New York, one in particular, giving out fake training cards, and then they changed the whole thing, uh, the whole uh, the criteria for training, the way you did training, and everything else. And what they ended up doing was having us, uh, uh, well, uh, on the Gulf oil spill, between that and the Gulf oil spill, all the falsification, training, there was a huge crackdown on training. So the people show up, and they say, well, Mr. Bozel, how do we know you're doing training? I said, well, look, you're welcome to sit in for as long as you folks like on the, the training. And I said, I have two trainers here, me and my brother, John, and uh, we're doing most of the work for extended family and such and such company. And we go and we do the training. They said, well, what proof do you have to do the training? I said, well, here are the sign-in sheets, right? Real good sign-in sheets. Here are the uh, uh, quizzes that we had throughout the, the project throughout the training class and I said well, we have the final exams we have a field exercise uh, we have to do everything we're supposed to we limit the class to about 40 people which is in accordance with the OSHA guidelines for outreach training but I have two trainers here and uh, they said okay what else they said, look we have a lot of folks out here that have all this stuff how do we know you're doing it? and I said well you see that plant back there in the back of the classroom they said yeah and I see that oh, we're in a church doing the training I see right behind the cross there you got, you said, yeah. I said, what do you think those are? They said, we see a video camera. I said, yeah, every one of these classes is videotaped and video recorded. Really? They said, really? Yeah, yeah, they're all videotaped and video recorded. Ended up, uh, they said, okay, thank you very much, Mr. Pozel. We really appreciate it. They sat in with me for four or five hours. Then they said, well, can we address your class? And I said, you know, absolutely. And he said, you know, we had some questions for you also. So the guy did something a little bit ballsy you see i since i'm training in a church right i you know i try to mind my manners of course no dirty language no nothing like that but one of the subtle things that even the minister commented on was this he said how come you're not teaching from the pulpit we got a nice pulpit and you're bringing your old sound system why aren't you at the pulpit preaching i said well look it's improper for me a layperson at the lectionary right i'll use your lectionary to go up to the pulpit and start speaking on like I'm speaking from God, all right? It's just not proper to do this, I said to the guy. I, you know, it's just not right, all right, that you're, I'm speaking from a pulpit with a safety training. I said, I'm not God, I'm not a minister, I'm not nothing like that, I'll do it from a lectionary or from the floor, like I normally do. He says, you know, you have some humility, Jim. It's like a good thing, you know, we don't see that all the time. You got people coming here, they think they could take over the place. So sure, so the auditors went right up for that pulpit and they started to go and they started to tell people about this and about this and about this very you know it was one of those things and i said you know what i, I i'll call the guy jerry i said jerry i had a couple of questions here for you i said oh, what kind of air monitoring are you doing out there well we got some air monitoring people i said are the results available uh, yeah. okay i didn't get that Oh, well, you know, okay. I said, okay, well, what about this? What about, I started asking some pointed questions. Before you know it, the show was over, boys. They left there. They couldn't get out of there freaking quick enough. And uh, what did they end up doing here? A lot of the folks at the end of the job, a lot of them made career changes. Uh, a, a handful, really, uh, as a shame out of thousands of people, we, uh, only a handful actually made the careers. They straightened out whatever problems they had in their life whatever they were doing 
on uh, public assistance and things of that nature. A lot of them, we saw a lot of people get off drugs because they had drug testing here. They had all different types of stuff going on. And what ended up happening was a lot of these folks never really went up and straightened themselves out, for lack of a better word. Never were able to get out of their situation. Some of it might have been just you have addiction issues. You might have had situations that are really impossible to get out of. But like this article says, socioeconomically vulnerable, that's their words, not mine. A lot of these folks were social and economically vulnerable. So the state of Florida, here's the externality here, forced the companies that were involved in the cleanup to take people who were had situations. They ended up going, working the job for eight or nine months, collecting unemployment because you needed, I believe, three quarters or four quarters, something like that, of work, 26 weeks, which is two quarters. I'm not sure what the laws were in Florida at the time. And then no follow-up, not being able to do this. They chose to use a socioeconomic group of people to do the cleanups. And now that socioeconomically vulnerable group of people now have problems. Right? They have this. There are other problems, too, that will probably come up in the long-term study here with this. So what's my point here? Maybe, uh, no, this is where this was might not have been a good policy in hindsight. In the immediate, to try to get people off welfare and workfare, whatever we're calling it, and public assistance, to try to get them in here, were we really doing them a favor if they're now going to be forced to have, they're basically having these long-term health impacts? Someone has to pay for that for their care, their treatment, and everything else. It's almost like you're trading one problem off for another problem. Maybe we should look at the next thing, God forbid something like this happens, maybe this might not be the most optimum population that we have here to use and to force people to use to do this. Might not. I always argue for the professional responders. The other thing is this. The 40-hour training that we had to give, because these were, again, a lot of people, literacy issues massive literacy issues massive everything but they have to get 40 hour trained and we're forced to use them so we had to significantly change our training we significantly had to train to their level a lot of the stuff that we were training on was like stem or steam depending on what part of the country you're from science technology engineering and math type things so now we had to teach basic scientific concepts to a lot of these folks stuff along the lines of here's a bottle of water and here's some oil. You put the oil in the water and the oil floats. If you, right, and, and to this level. We had to explain to them toxicology. And this is where this comes up with, with the, what they're called the VTEX-H, benzene, toluene, ethyl benzene, xylene, and uh, a hexane compound here. All right, you're, all of these things, right? And they should have known this, so we're gonna comment on this, probably on September 12th, is, they all have the same target organs, all right? And they're basically the PELs for each one of these or the exposure limits for all of these has got to be lower, significantly lower because you have the same target organs for this. So they should they should have known this. Now, what, no, my question is where did all of this? Uh... No, at the time, the air monitoring folks, people doing the air monitoring, were they forcing them to, or did they have engineering controls? Did they force them to wear respirators? Uh, because I can tell you, a lot of the contractors out there were not wearing respirators in any of this stuff, uh, from what I observed. They were picking, right, because one, the exposure limits were low, 
obviously, for a lot of this stuff, but if we have this many people with asthma, maybe the exposure limits are wrong. Maybe so that had to be changed differently on how we manage this stuff. That's all I'm saying with this. So these are good studies, long-term, but here I wanted to give you some of the inside story, at least as far as I know, from the training end and the work practice end. And I have to question whether or not, and I still question, were, this, were these the right people for the job, for this? We knew that a lot of them, once the job was over, they disappeared, for lack of a better word, back into what they were doing. A lot of them, a handful, ended up improving themselves, getting off the uh, public assistance and everything else from uh, the people I uh, observed. And I don't know. I don't really know uh, what to say here other than forcing people into a situation may not be the best thing, especially people who may not be able to take care of themselves later on, may not do follow-up with doctors and things of that nature. Uh, I there About one or two reports come out from this study every... Uh, year, I'll give you updates as appropriate, but what I'm going to say is this. The next time this comes up, we should, these are some of the questions we need to ask. So in summary, one, who are we going to get to do the cleanups? Are they going to be professional cleanup people, or are we just going to you know, force companies to hire people that may or may not be qualified? Uh, second thing is this. Long-term epidemiological studies, now that we have the Gulf oil spill as a model, on how maybe not to manage some of these respiratory hazards, maybe this is going to be approached at differently, approached differently, approached better with some scientific basis and everything else. I think this was a learning opportunity. Too bad the learning opportunity had to come at the expense of these workers. Uh, we can't let that happen again. That's not moral or ethical, may not even be legal. The other thing is this, with the September 11th situation, with the collapse of the Twin Towers, which I observed from my uh, rooftop in Hoboken, uh, New Jersey, there, uh, uh, the managers there were told specifically by at least four or five people who I know that the air was no damn good. Everyone should be in respirators and the whole nine yards. Um, this and decisions were made where they didn't ignore them, basically. So here's uh, the issue here. We have, again, so, uh, and I'm going to say this is controversial, sovereign immunity. It's an ongoing issue. Who's responsible for this? Who's responsible for making these decisions? Who's are we they being held accountable, if possible? I don't think that any of the hearings or any investigations actually caused uh, any of these questions to be answered. One thing that did come out of some of this, especially September 11th, was the community emergency response team, better training for workers. But let's face it. People get emotional, they're untrained first responders, second responders. Stuff happens where they no things don't get enforced. They don't have the capability to actually respond to things with the proper PPE or anything else. It's not like you're working in at a construction job or general industry job or something like that where you're able to design the work area. In a disaster, you're, you have what you have. What we need is maybe better planning. And shows like ours. For safety wars, this is Jim Tolzel. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772.
Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.